Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hey, everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. Happy Monday. It's Fantasy Sports Today here on SportsGrid. Craig and Joe back with you for another edition of the show. Hope you guys had a Nice weekend. We're ready for another impactful weekend in fantasy and reality. We got NASCAR coming back. We had the UFC last weekend. And uh, and I think this week we'll have some clarity on baseball as well, Joe. We're closing in on, I think, the uh, 2020 baseball season, too. So fantasy baseball should be kicking in here in probably the next couple of months. How was your weekend? Uh, weekend was good. It was Mother's Day. So happy belated Mother's Day to everybody out there. Hope everybody got to... Uh, Obviously, you know, it wasn't a Mother's Day where people were going out to restaurants and things like that. So I guess a lot of the dads and the husbands had to had to finally put the apron on and get in the kitchen and do some things, maybe. But uh, obviously, it was at least a nice weather weekend. And I did my homework assignment. You're very proud of me, Craig Mish. I caught up on all of the last dance. So now I am officially caught up as of uh, whatever Sunday night versions are. So uh, I, I made sure that I didn't show up here because you threw down the gauntlet and I picked it up. And I said, all right, I will catch up for you, Craig Mish, and I'm officially ready to go. All right. So Tuesday, we'll knock out that discussion. And uh, I'm sure it's one of the hot topics of going on. In fact, uh, over the weekend, uh, ESPN actually announced their next 30 for 30, which is going to be on Roy Halladay. Really intriguing uh, Mm. conversation with his wife, Brandy. So I am uh, definitely going to be tuned in to check out that one later this month. But uh, let's kind of just start off with uh, some of the news of the weekend, of course, Real quick on baseball here, a five-round draft is now made official. Of course, this is going to really change things for 2020. A lot of kids are going to be forced to going to college, staying in college, and the draft certainly is going to be a lot different than what we've seen before. Potentially, we could be looking at a 10- to 20-round draft, I think, in 2021. It'll never be five rounds again, but essentially, they won't say this, but the reason why they did it is clearly to save all the bonus money from round six all the way through 30 or 40. No bonus money basically is out there. 20 grand is the most that you can pay anyone. So with that, they've moved forward toward the potential of a season. It does look like, Joe, that there's going to be realignment for 2020. Some of the divisions have been discussed already, but it's basically an East, Central, and West with all the games being played in home ballparks. Still the potential of the Universal DH is out there as well. And we're expected to get some clarity over the next couple of weeks, although the players and the owners are, of course, not completely clear on this agreement and what they want to do. But I think in the next few days, we're going to have some clarity on that. Well, wouldn't that be nice? And clarity would be great. And look, I I told you last week, I'm all for hyper-regionalizing baseball, and I'm all for the DH. I mean, I think it's long overdue. And I am a traditionalist in that sense when it comes to 
the designated hitter and loving National League style baseball. But at a certain point, you have to recognize where we are. And if kids are not hitting when they're pitchers in high school or in college or in the minor leagues, then how in the hell can we get them to the major league level and expect them to be productive at all swinging a bat? It's crazy. There's a handful of guys. I know it's fun to watch Mazin Bumgarner get up there and hit a home run. I get that. I remember Mike Hampton was a hell of a hitter. We know the Braves guys took a lot of pride in their hitting. And look, let's face it, a lot of guys don't take any pride in their hitting right now. It's atrocious. Guys hurt themselves. It's time for the universal DH anyway. I don't think after this season, if that gets instituted, there's ever any going back from it. Would you agree with that, Craig? This is it? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think that the divisions are just realigned for this year because of the travel. I would agree, right. But I, but I think that the designated hitter probably goes back, and then they're going to have a new playoff format where several more teams will make the playoffs. I think everybody understands at this point. It's going to be a little bit of an experiment. It'll be a trial, and we'll see what works. And maybe in 2021, some of those things that are incorporated in 2020 end up taking hold. But there's no way of knowing right now. And by the way, there's no way of knowing even if there's going to be a season. But in order to get spring training going again in June, which is going to be another three weeks, they're going to have to decide this week as to when the start date is. I mean, that's that, that's got to happen. We're only— right less than three weeks away from that. Now, on the flip side, interestingly enough, someone that it's kind of hard to take any comment seriously because he's arguably one of the most charismatic sports athletes we've had of all time in Shaquille O'Neal, does a great job on the NBA on TNT and and really is a worldwide phenomenon. In fact, there are some people who felt that for many, many years that Shaquille O'Neal was more popular than Michael Jordan. Hard to argue that. He's just uh, an iconic figure in sports. He had some interesting comments over the weekend also, Joe, essentially saying that he thought that the league should stop right now and call it a day. Uh, everyone knew knows, basically he alluded to that there'd be an asterisk on the season. So what was the point? Now, look, uh, the crazy hot take Shaq kind of went away a few years ago. We really haven't seen that. He hasn't said any you know, sort of outlandish things like this. But I got to tell you, as much as I love Shaq, and he was always really good to me, I don't agree with this at all. I mean, come on, asterisk or not, people want to see sports. And if you're already talking about eliminating one of the four major leagues, it would be a huge disappointment. It would. And I think part of this reaction is also coming from the fact that there were some players in the NBA who tested positive already for this. So, you know, I think there was a little bit of a more of a reality check for the NBA than some of the other leagues necessarily, like Major League Baseball. I mean, some minor league players had tested positive, I know. But I mean, really, it's the NBA was that first one that really hit. And we said, oh, wow, look at this guy and this guy in that locker room. And look, Shaquille O'Neal will never be as famous as Michael Jordan. Just want to put that to bed. He's more recognizable. That's because he's seven foot tall. And it's very easy to see when he walks into a room. Not that it's hard when Michael Jordan walks in. But after watching all the last dance, let me tell you, it's pretty obvious how much more famous Michael Jordan was than everybody else. But I, I get where he's coming from that when you come back into this sort of situation, it's going to be kind of the Wild West and it's going to be a weird scenario because where's the momentum of teams that were doing well and what happened and how are guys in shape and not in shape and the layoff is a very strange thing to happen in the middle of a season like we were talking about. It's one thing to start spring training and pick back up. It's another thing to be playing most of the season and then pick up. So I get where he's coming from, but I think anything you can do to get to some semblance of normalcy and for the good of the leagues, for the good of the players, for the good of the public – I think they should try their best, but I kind of get where he's coming from, but I don't agree. Yeah, I, it's hard to. I think that we want to see something, whether it's an abridged playoff. And I think the point that Shaq makes is fair, that there will be an asterisk. Yes, there will be an asterisk on all sports 
this season. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be, but no one's going to care. We'll take the asterisk along with the games. We have nothing to root for except for UFC, which by all uh, accounts was a pretty big success over the weekend. So. Oh, yeah, record-breaking numbers, uh, by the way, in wagering for the UFC. So, you know, <laughs> I guess sports wagering hasn't, uh, hasn't gone away, so that's a good thing. So I guess that's not going to hit a recession here. Right. Well, I mean, the other thing to consider is, yes, uh, online wagering was certainly huge this weekend. Remember, you can't bet anywhere else because no casinos are open, too. So, you know, we'll see if that continues when the casinos are open and people. But have now that a lot of people stuff. have, I wonder, hey, they say, hey, it's, well, it's interesting. Really easy. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's possible. Look, I it's mean, like Amazon, you know, it's a lot easier not to leave your house. And go I to think a lot of I, I think that that goes for a lot of the things that sure. we just you know, left to go get, and I don't know that those will ever change, but certainly I think we're in line for a big sports wagering season, regardless of where it is or, or how it is. Uh, Monday Night Football will look a little different. I've never understood the infatuation with the announcers on Monday Night Football. I still don't get it, and is ESPN, for whatever reason, gets all this attention, and they never can get it right, and basically what they do is whenever they don't get it right, whether it's Sunday Night Baseball or Monday Night Baseball, they come out and say that they did a great job, but we're reassigning them to something else that's going to be more important. And we know it's not the case, but this is how they do it. They basically demote you and say that they have bigger plans and ESPN's Monday Night Football crew will completely change. Uh, I never get all wrapped up into this thing, Joe, but it's pretty obvious at this point everyone is going to try and follow the Tony Romo model, which means who is next up for Monday Night Football at this point? Uh, well, you're asking the wrong guy because I can't stand Tony Romo's ooh, ah, ooh, all those sounds he um, makes and the nonsense. He is like not him. great. He is not great. I find his insights to be very short. I find a lot of the, the, the weird sounds and things really distracting. I am in the minority and I'm okay with it, but this is how I feel. I cannot stand already listening to Tony Romo, whereas Booger McFarlane... I mean, let's. I think that this was set up for failure to begin with. There's nothing bigger than Monday Night Football on ESPN right now. It's the biggest thing that they have. And I think they put him in a bad spot that first year when they had him up on a crane. And then you move a guy into, into the booth in one year. Look, it takes time for anybody to get good at anything. And you have to give groups and duos time to get better and to work together and get chemistry. And, and, and I understand he said some stupid things, but I will all say some stupid things. It's not the easiest gig in the world. I think Tessator got a, you know, a bad shake, too, as the play-by-play -play guy. I don't think he's that bad either. But like you said, they're looking for the next guy, whoever that is. And Drew Brees already got locked up by NBC. So now they're going to look for whoever that other guy is. But I am not a fan of Romo and some of his plays calling in the, the, the um, you know, the actual playoffs and things like that. It's just it's laughable sometimes the things he says and it's wrong and all this other stuff. I don't know why he gets such a pass and why everyone's in love with him. I just don't get I, it. I think I think that he not only is great. But he did something that basically had never been done before, which is what I think ESPN is going to try and emulate is is just basically zero transition, zero transition from player to broadcaster. And that is almost impossible in this day and age. And I've worked with a lot of different athletes and athletes and done shows with them, too. And I've never seen somebody as good. I mean, we just completely disagree on the topic, but mm -hmm. yeah, uh, and that's and I, I, I've never I seen the, someone go from what is it you like about him? To, is it the energy? He just seems like he's a kid and he's very excited about about broadcasting the right. game, right? And, 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 and I and like I, that. And I and I get that's why some people like him. I find the exuberance kind of sometimes he gets ahead of himself in the actual play calling of the game. And it gets it throws me off, and I find it annoying. Like he says something, and he's wrong about it, and you got to go backtrack where he says this is going to happen, and it doesn't. And it's just kind of like just stop. Like I know you're excited, I know you're into it, but I find it 
on the other hand, and I know I'm in the minority. It's fine. Yeah, it's okay. I find it distracting. If you ask me, like in the last five years, what tandem did I really like? I loved when it was Kevin Burkhart and John Lynch together. That was a terrific duo calling football games. You understood what was going on. You learned things. I was like Mike Mayock as a color announcer. I thought he, every time I watched a game that he was announcing, I felt smarter as a football fan afterwards. So that's what I prefer. But, you know, to each his own, who do you think is the next guy, quote Did unquote? Did they rule out Peyton Manning for this already? Well, they already went, but he said no already. So unless yeah, they're going to go I, I, more. I think I think we go back to that well again. You think they can pay him enough? <laughs> I mean, I, I guess they can. I mean, look, if we're talking about it and it's that popular, I think that they have to. I mean, Manning is the perfect guy for this. Like, I just well, he is the perfect guy, and and Manning is a great combination of knowledge of the game, but also wit, and he's very quick on his feet, and he's very sure. likable, and all of those things. So he puts all of those things in perspective, and he brings along with him quite a resume of winning. You know, which is something that Dan Fouts brought and something that a lot of other announcers brought. I mean, and John Madden brought a, a knowledge of winning. Tony Romo is, was brought a great knowledge of trying real hard. And that's how I feel his announcing is, too. But I'm glad everybody else is happy with him. I mean, there's a lot worse players that are announcers than Tony Romo. Sure. Not even close. Sure. There's a lot better announcers, too. <laughs> well, listen, that's that's a fair opinion. Do you think man, it's fair? We've that... had a lot of quarterbacks that have failed miserably that are in prime time right now being on television. I, I know we're up against it, but I got to ask you, because you're a good person to answer this question. Do you think that it's fair to give people one year together in a booth and say it's a success or a failure? Uh, no, but... But this is is this a tough business? But it's ESPN we're talking about, and so right. it's like they're held to a different standard, I think, than everybody else. All right, we'll be back with fantasy sports today's this day in fantasy sports and our fantasy sports birthday for this Monday. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, everyone. It's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down and too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn, and most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is going to be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back. Today is May 11th. It's Monday, so it's time for a little This Day in Fantasy Sports and our fantasy sports birthdays as we start off a new week of fantasy sports. And uh, Joe, anything that you're looking forward to this week? Any any interesting schedule ideas (laughs) like like for me for me here where i live in south florida they've determined that the county north of me palm beach county is open starting Mm -hmm. today and the county that i live in 
in Broward County is open one week for t- uh, from today. So I probably will end up staying home another week or two, even after this starts. I know my wife wants to stay home another week or two, but uh, things are a little different where you are, I suppose. They are. They are a little different here. This was the first, this, uh, this weekend was the longest I've been in a car. I hadn't filled my tank with gas in over two months. That's, wow, yeah, uh, me too, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. I went, about that too. and then I filled it for 20 bucks, and I went, wow. <laughs> it was like, I got to get gas, gas is like, you're right. It was like $1.88. Get all the gas. If you, have, you know, I know you don't mow the lawn. You, they have a, the company do it there where you live. But like, if you need gasoline for anything, any of your uh, your riding mowers or whatever, now's the time. Go get your gasoline. It's crazy. It's like, whoa, it's 1995 again for gas. Um, but yeah, this was the most I had been out. Like I said, uh, took the kids on the weekend, did a little drive by the parents' house, and it's good to kind of see everybody. But you could see everyone doesn't know what to do. Even you know, like when we see neighbors, you're just you know, you're not sure. Like what do we do? And I think eventually it's all going to start to settle in, and, and eventually there will be normal again. But I'm looking forward to the pool opening. See, it's always sunny in Florida. It is not always sunny in New Jersey. And it was literally 45 degrees yesterday, and I got two weeks till the pool opens, and it needs to not be 45 degrees, Craig Mish. That is not acceptable pool weather. Don't have the heater for the pool. So that's what I'm looking forward to. So working on getting the outside pool ready. That's that's where okay. we're working for. It's 45 yeah. degrees. Well, yeah, in May. It's Don't May. Don't want to hear that. 45 degrees when I woke up yesterday. So. No good. Not, no good. Not, okay. Get away from that. <laughs> All right, uh, this day in fantasy sports history, we got May the 11th. We'll start off with Sandy Koufax. You see the picture of him through a million no-hitters over the course of his career. Accurate and, number. Yep. And this was the second one. Yeah, he broke the record with a million. I wonder if that'll ever be broken. <laughs> Tough record to break. A million no-hitters. Uh, who Who is better in their window? Pedro Martinez, 99, or Sandy Koufax, 1963? You know what? Koufax is... Uh, I'm sorry. Uh Martinez is 99, maybe better than all of the Koufax years, but I think Koufax in the dominant window that he was in was better than Pedro's dominant years. Because that's the only other guy I can think of that you can put in a pitching window that's in this class, right? Am I getting somebody? Uh, like Bob Gibson had a couple of years, but no, I think Bob Gibson I think 68, right? Yeah, I, I think I think it's I think it's fair. I think it's fair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because when I I mean, I guess. Do you get extra points for doing it in the steroid era if you're Pedro Martinez? You would think so, but in the American League DH. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you would you would think so, but uh, you know it's it's hard to compare, and I guess that's part of what we do. But I I would say that again, for a five year period, it was probably Sandy Koufax. But in that one year, and mm-hmm. almost two, I think I would probably go with the Pedro years. That's yeah, fair. was that the ninety eight to ninety nine? Right. That's yeah. yeah, yeah. I it. it Pedro during that window was just he was chasing staggering. thirty wins. Yeah. <laughs> in a day he was the last were... guy. I thought that had a shot. Yeah, uh, I mean Pedro is one of these special players and one of the great personalities too. I miss Pedro Martinez. You know, I got to see him pitch quite a bit in the later years with the Mets, which was not the same Pedro Martinez, but just the character of him in the dugout. It's just fun. I just I want more fun guys like that, more fun personalities. A killer on the mound. Don't get me wrong. Stone cold murderer on the mound. But then he was off the mound, complete jokester, hilarious, fun guy, and just uh, I, I want more guys like that in my sports. All right, 1977, this was a, a wacky one. Ted Turner said, hey, you know what? I own the team. Let me manage the Braves. And he did it for one game back on May the 11th, 1977. This was one of the weirder things that had happened in baseball history. If you'll remember, the Marlins ended up 
uh, firing their manager and hiring their general manager and Dan Jennings to manage the team who had never managed as well. But look, uh, with power comes money and with money comes the choice to do whatever you want to do. And for everything that you could say negative about Ted Turner, and there are some people that have negative things to say, is the bottom line is he put essentially baseball networks on the map along with uh, WGN and, and no mm -hmm. longer on WGN. But at the time, it was TBS was the home of the Atlanta Braves. And he was way ahead of his time because everybody's just followed suit. Yeah, I mean, I actually didn't know this until uh, <laughs> we uh, we talked about it today. I mean, for one game, that's pretty amazing. What, did he get like a baseball card out of it at least? Because no, I don't, I, you I know mean, what? I don't know. Maybe he did. I'm not sure. I don't. Know. How did you feel as a kid when you got a manager card? Were you disappointed inside? Uh, more you of know, a checklist. I, I didn't like quarter. the checklist. The checklist is even worse. Well, checklist wait, was the checklist was mandatory in every pack? Did you get a checklist? No. 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 Oh, okay. Because that, that, you're right. The checklist is even worse than the manager card. I had a friend who collected manager cards. And I was like, you're nuts. You realize this is never going to be worth anything. Like, he's like, nah, I just like him. I just think it's cool. Look, there, <laughs> are, there are some iconic manager cards. Gil Hodges when he managed oh, the 69 sure. Mets. Uh, you know, Frank Robinson was a manager of a couple different teams in, in, the, uh, in the 70s and the 80s. He was like a player manager. Red Chandis of the Cardinals ended up being a Hall of Famer. Tony La Russa. Um, Ted Williams managed the Washington... Nationals, I believe. If I'm no, senators. Senators, yes. Senators, yeah. Washington Senator. Yeah, so, yeah, there are some cool... I think I have a Ted Williams. I'm going to find that. Ted Williams managing card. Let me check that out. But, yeah, I, I wasn't, like... The checklist to me was the worst. Like, well, yeah, I, got I was never excited to get a Dallas Green, you know. I, I, a Jim Fry? A What's reporter. wrong with a Jim Fry? <laughs> Nothing's wrong with a Jim Fry. That guy's awesome. <laughs> All right, 1996, Al Leiter throws... A no-hitter for the Marlins, yes, against the Colorado Rockies. They won that game 12 to nothing, and Al Leiter went on to have a really good career, won the World Series, of course, in 1997, went on to pitch for the Mets for many years as well, and now a really good broadcaster and his son getting ready for the major leagues. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Al Leiter, uh, a perfect one of those late-developing lefties, right, where they always say sometimes lefties take a little bit longer. Came up with the Yankees. A lot of people forget that. I remember that rookie card. I remember the Al Leiter rated rookie card for sure. And uh, a guy that really didn't quite click until the later years there. Obviously, some great years with the Marlins. And then was the you know tandem ace, I guess, if you will, with Mike Hampton of those Mets teams with Mike Piazza and Ventura and those teams that made some runs there in the late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, I, what I love most about uh, Al Leiter was he was a gamer, you know, and the grunting. He actually would grunt every time he yeah. threw a pitch, which I, you know, you don't get a lot of grunters nowadays. It was like watching Monica Sellis play tennis. That was an Al Leiter pitching. It was just a grunt fest, which is, you knew he was trying. You knew every single pitch he was given everything. I wonder if he actually did it, you know, to throw people off sometimes too, and he would grunt and then maybe throw a changeup. You think it was like part of the uh, gamesmanship there? Uh, Granky does it too now, so maybe it is. Maybe I didn't realize Granky was a grunter. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big grunter. Granky the grunter. Big Did time. not know. Yeah. Did not realize that. 2001, Vince Carter in the NBA playoffs. This is one that's going to be tough to break. Eight three-pointers in the first half in a win against the 76ers. Everyone always points to Jordan. We've seen that video now. But Vince Carter broke the record. It's still his. Yeah, it's an incredible record. Vince Carter was a terrific player. Uh, certainly fun to watch. He was a human highlight reel, too. Air Canada. Uh, loved Vince Carter. Very fun. I don't think he ever quite lived up to the expectation, but I think the expectations were set a little bit too high. You know, I think that was the problem. Everybody was, you know, looking for the next person to keep passing the mantle to and it ended up being Kobe. 
Uh, but I think in between there, they were looking at, towards the end of that Jordan era for who the next guy was going to be. And they tried on some hats with Penny Hardaway and Vince Carter and some other guys, but it wasn't. Oh, I think Vince Carter's ahead of, of ahead of Penny Hardaway. I mean, well, he I'm, is, but I mean, for a while, like we just talked about last week, for a while there, they thought Penny was going to be that guy. And no, you I know, know, but Vince Carter, I mean, is a Hall of Famer. He's going to be. Oh, uh, he's a great player. He's a great player. But when you think about, you know, Bird, Magic, Jordan, I think then the next he's torch goes that, to Kobe, he's not and then the category, and neither is Paul no, Pierce. But they're but both I think they, be Hall I think, of Famers. I think they want. Well, absolutely. But I think that they wanted him to be that face of the NBA guy, and I don't think he ended up becoming that, which is not a problem. Like you said, still Hall of Famer, great career, yeah. great player. Yeah, it's just yeah, like Penny and McGrady, like those two guys were really good, but Carter was, you know, I think a level above those guys. Anybody that gets in the Hall of Fame, it's hard to poke holes at their game. But I understand what you're saying is about being like the man. Yeah. From a marketing uh, standpoint in the NBA, not from a, really, not from a talent yeah, it has it was not him. Um, you know, Duncan was, really didn't want himself marketed. Although yeah, he was Duncan the best didn't like that. that. So it was Kobe and then LeBron. I think that's the succession line in the NBA. Don't, don't you think? Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys that played in that. A lot, a lot of guys during that era will end up in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Sure, uh, Dirk, uh, Nash. You know, I mean, there's a lot of guys in that uh, category, but I don't think that they are Kobe level. You know, yeah, like, but there's only one Kobe level. Only right, one there's only Le- one. Le- yeah, Kobe, LeBron. I mean, you know, Bird, Magic, Michael. That those. That's the, you're talking about the best of all time. Vince Carter is not right, one of the best but I, I think of all with the time, NBA, but he's a Hall of Famer. Right, but I think even in the last dance, they were kind of talking about that torch passing that goes on, and I think that that's a real thing in the NBA from a marketing standpoint. They like to find that next guy. You know, I think they yeah. thought for a window. That Carter could be it, and then ended up being Kobe. So nothing well, wrong with that. It's uh, it's Brett's friend Luca could be the next guy. There you go. All it's right, 2016. Max Scherzer tied the MLB strikeout record. I remember watching this game live. He struck out 20. He went the distance, uh, nine innings. Scherzer ends up uh, tying the record. He had a shot with the last at bat of striking out the final guy. I believe he did not. It was a ground out, and that ended the game. All right. Uh, this day in fantasy sports birthdays for May the 11th, 2020. Uh, Joe's favorite player of all time, Cam Newton. You see the picture of him. He was born, of course, in 1989. Other birthdays for that day, Matt Leinart in 83. Macklin, a very good receiver for a long time in the NFL. Very underrated as well. Uh, Newton's birthday is 89. Miguel Sano of the Minnesota Twins in 1993 had his breakout season last year. As it stands here on this Monday, as we're doing the show, Cam Newton still has no home. I'm hoping by the time that we get to... Uh, May 20th or May 21st. I think that that will probably be the story of the week. I think Cam Newton will end up signing with someone this week, Joe. All right. Well, where's the money on the signing? I don't know. It's kind of tough. The musical the Rams, chairs. The, we, we, uh, did I do that show with you? Was that with Renee? No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Rams. Just, the Rams just, is my prediction. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. We're Joes or Italian. Right. I, the I Rams. The Rams. You know, I had been saying Jacksonville, but I think they just don't no, they want out. to tank so hard. So uh, I think that's out too. But that was the place that made the most sense to me. Um, I don't think it's going to be Washington. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> I think... to me, it's either Oakland or the Rams or Vegas, <laughs> Vegas or the Rams. That's a hell of a collection of quarterbacks to get in there. Mariota, Carr, <laughs> Cam Newton. How many well, at that point, you just say to Mariota, hey, man, like, sorry. You know, like, <laughs> we, we, I mean, we had the shot Bro. at Cam Newton here. I mean, look, the, the Raiders are less likely. I think the Rams go into the season and they say, you know something? Just in case Goff's a bust, let's just make this one-year $7 million move and throw him in there. I like it, Mish. I think it's a little cagey on your part I wish we could. I wish we could bet it. It's, they it's not need on the board. something. They need the Rams need something. I think they are flat right now. I feel like do you, you get the feeling like the window's closed for them? Because that kind of feels like it. Pretty much. 
<laughs> you know, 49ers and Seahawks look real good. Pretty much. Rams. They had their shot and they and didn't the make cap, the and they, and they blew their load with the cap, too. That's the hard part. It's from a cap perspective. You know what, though? As an NFL franchise, you go all in. You get and they to did. A Super I respect Bowl. that. You get to a Super Bowl, you lose to the best team. Like, what are you going to do? I mean, I, I I don't look back at the Rams if I do with regret. The only regret the Rams should have is it's not even with Goff because you have to pay the franchise quarterback. It's girly. It's, you don't ever pay a running back that kind of money. That lesson should have been learned a long time ago. All right, we'll be back with more fantasy sports today in just a couple of minutes. Joe and Craig right back after this right here on SportsGrid and SportsGrid.com. Don't go SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Today is my deadline in my dynasty league to set my restricted free agents. I've been a horrible, horrible team in this dynasty league now. This is going on the third year. I have one restricted free agent. I have two players that are eligible, Joe, for restricted free agency. One is David Johnson, who I can't say goodbye fast enough to. One of the biggest busts that I've ever had. Paid a lot of money for the guy. Thought at the very least last year I would have got something out of him. I got absolutely nothing, and I cannot believe that Houston's making him their starting running back this year. So, bye-bye. I hope David Johnson, who is a very <laughs> nice man, and I wish him all the best in health. I have 0% confidence in David Johnson this year. He will be on none of my fantasy teams in 2020. I can guarantee you that, zero. Uh, cup, I'll match if somebody I, – I have cap space, so I'll match on cup. Uh, my team, other than that, is a shell. I have, like, Brady and a bunch of nothing. It's just embarrassing. But I traded for all these draft picks. So, okay. essentially, in this dynasty draft that I have coming up, that's really the key for me because I have the 6th, the 10th, and the 12th pick. 6, so, 10, 12. All right. Yeah. It's not a bad draft. So, it's actually... No, it's, it's a deeper there. draft, I, I think, mm-hmm. to, to have this here. So, uh, I've got my shot at a few different players. The What, what I'm kind of hoping for is that it doesn't go chalky. And I get a shot at one of these running backs because I got to tell you, I looked at last year's running backs and how they finished. And it is amazing how bad running backs basically 10 or 11 through 20 were like it is shocking to me that you can get 40 yards, catch three passes in a PPR and not even score. And that puts you somewhere in the RB2 range. So what's that? What is that telling me? It's telling me I got to try and hit a home run on a running back. I got to try and do it. I Look, I don't know that there's... Or pivot to wide receiver. <laughs> maybe so, but I still got to start two running backs and a flex in this league. 
I got to do it. And I don't have any. I have none. I have no running backs at all. So and I'm not even looking at this year. I'm still in rebuild mode, and I get it. So I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to land someone that I'm going to be able to play in 2021. Because I got to tell you, I think that the running back talent is very high in this draft, but I don't see anyone in the first six or seven games of the season mm. being an impact guy. I mean, really, the only one to me, and we'll, we'll, I'll show you my list in a second, but the only one to me that I think has a chance like on game one to start game one is Cam Akers. Like, that's the only one. And I'm not even sure that Akers is better than the other guys, but he's got a legit shot right out of the box to start. I don't think the other guys do. No, I, I think you nailed it. And actually, this is a discussion I was just having on another show about this rookie class trying to figure out where we're going here. And uh, I'm I'm of the mind of Edwards Allaire. I'm super excited about the landing spot. I think it's the perfect guy when I was watching him this year. Uh, I think I even might have mentioned it to you when we were doing the show together. He kind of reminds me of Westbrook a little bit. And look, and then he ended up with Andy Reid. I couldn't believe it. And I got so excited. And I, and I texted my buddy Adam Ronis, who's working on the Black Book with me. And I said, all right. Check me here. Am I should I be this excited about a Edwards Alaire landing here? And he said, Nope, I'm just as excited as you. And I said, Okay. And I know if Adam Ronis is excited about it and I'm excited about it, we're definitely in a in a place here where there's guys to look forward to. But even him, there's some questions like is he gonna be, you know, kind of moved in slowly through September? I think when you look at rookie running backs, just typically speaking, they tend to get brought in a little bit slower because you're talking about pass protection. You're talking about gaining trust of not fumbling the football, all those little things. But if you can make good trades or good moves for those guys in redraft leagues, like say acquiring Miles Sanders or Devin Singletary guys who end up having really good second halves, that's the kind of way to do it. Now in dynasty leagues, a little different. I think right now we're looking at the long term. You said it's a two year plan. And I would still think that Edwards Alaire is the best guy in that two-year window here because he is probably the best offense. He's with the best quarterback, most opportunities to score. And he really fits what Andy Reid wants to do. And Damian Williams, to me, was never the answer there. Now you go back to the next two guys, it's Swift and Taylor. That is more intriguing. I am not a carry-on Johnson fan. I think Swift has a real opportunity to fight him for carries and take that job over. But like you said... How long is that going to take? Six weeks? Eight weeks? We'll take another carry on Johnson injury, maybe. Uh, and then Akers is another guy where you look at him and you say, okay, he has a shot to beat out the Hendersons and Malcolm Browns, but it could end up being some complete cluster of a committee. And that's not something that's going to be good for anybody. Uh, do you think that Taylor might be the sneaky guy to kind of edge through there I don't and so. maybe just blow no. Marlon Mack out of the water? No, I like Marlon Mack a lot. I, 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 and I I can't understand that one at all. That that I mean, look, the Colts liked him a lot. They moved up to get him. Well, Marlon fact, Mack's on the last year of his contract. I think that's, that's part of for twenty twenty one. Again, it's fine. But I like Marlon Mack. I think Marlon Mack is good. So, I think Marlon Mack is good too. But I think when they're looking at the structure of paying everybody on that team, I think it makes a lot of sense to do what they're doing, which is saying, well, Marlon Mack is really good, but is he and, transcendent? And I, by the way, I'm not sure about Jonathan Taylor either. I am not I am not 100% sold on him either as a pro football running back at well, all. Well, if you're looking for system, Dobbins certainly makes sense because... He does too, but I'm not sold on him. But I, how, I was going to say, you know this and I know this. When, you're look, when you watched those games last year with Baltimore, how important was Mark Ingram on that field with Lamar Jackson? Talking to him, telling him things. You see, every time they're on the bench, it's Mark Ingram sitting 
sitting here. Lamar Jackson sitting here right next to each other. He was almost like another coach on the field with him. That is huge. And to take that well, away just because he's a little older, uh, I don't know. That's a tricky well, one, too. Ingram will not... be gone, and Mac will be gone, and Carryon Johnson <laughs> will be gone. And and all these guys are going to play in 2021. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. But for this So then year, who do you play. like the most for 2021? For now? Yes, that's the, no, in 2021. I'm saying it. I if think, you think Swift all is things the best are guy of all of them. Well— then I think you you can go that route, and you, I'm sure Matt Patricia. I'm not going to get him, but whatever. Okay, so here, here's, here's the thing: this, is Matt Patricia going to run the football? I know he wants to, but Matt Stafford doesn't. <laughs> Swift is is, is a monster. He's the best of them all. But here, here's here's the uh, top five. I got Edwards Lair at one because he just be, would be silly not to have him at one. And and again, the investment is there from the Chiefs too. So I mean, it's a first round pick. You're not going to not play the guy. It's just ridiculous. Uh, DeAndre Swift is my favorite. I thought he should have been the first running back taken overall. And I don't love the fight. The fact that he's got to fight carry on in this year, I don't like that. If carry on, what's carry on really done but be inconsistent and injured? When he plays, he's good. Ah, even plays, in college, he had very up and down game logs too. I mean, I know you can't hang everything on, you know that, but I mean, it kind of carried in over. Twenty twenty one, I'd rather have Swift than all these guys. Uh, Taylor right. is three. I'm not sold on him and his future. Dobbins is four. He had one good year at Ohio State. It tells me nothing. They had a tremendous offensive line and a great offense. Akers is my fifth and could be the number one rookie running back in fantasy this year. It's like a Josh Jacobs situation. He's walking into an open door, more or less. He's just got to show in training camp that he can be the guy. Uh, they did invest. Forget Brown. Forget Malcolm Brown. But they invested a high enough pick in Henderson that I think that Henderson is going to play enough. I just I, I think Akers probably for this year has the best shot, but I don't know that he is the most talented of those five. And that's uh, it. I, I would stop there. It's very difficult. I'm not going to get any of these guys. That's what's upsetting me. Well, here's the thing. All it takes is one person to take one of the receivers, and then at six, you are and getting I'll one take of these one, guys. And then I'll just take any of the running backs who left. Well, I guess here's my question to you. Why do you want that? You're just complaining that you don't think a lot of these guys necessarily— 20, I'm playing for 2021 anyway, so it doesn't matter. But even if you're playing long-term in Dynasty, wide receivers are typically the much better investment if you like but where I they're landing, you like the talent. 12, so you want to? All right, that's fair enough. I mean, I, I get, I get what Three you're saying. Three wide receivers with six, ten, and twelve. I'm not gonna no, play. but I think this is the year you'd flip Brady, right? I mean, his value is nobody no greater. Wants nobody him. wants him for anything. Uh, well, then maybe are easy to get. Okay, how many is this twelve team league you're in? You're ten. Twelve. Twelve. Ah. Look, I mean, <laughs> I get, I get what you're I have saying. You got... I, I had like three good quarter. I have Jimmy G also. I think there's a good chance that you are going to get one of these running backs. I think somebody will take a Lamb or a Judy and, and slip in there. Uh, I would not be surprised if that happened at all. But, you know, all if right. you end up with a receiver, you end up with a receiver. Right. And, Look, it's fine. Uh, six through ten, uh, here's here's uh, here's what I'm looking at. Uh, C.D. Lamb is probably not the best of these, but I think he ends up in the best situation this year playing alongside Amari uh, Cooper. And obviously this is provided that Prescott's going to play because that just changes everything for some reason if he's not. Uh, Jerry Judy is my favorite wide receiver in the entire draft, but I do not think that he is on, in the right spot uh, unless no. they are going to shock me and completely change what they do. I believe that they are a running team again. Maybe is that, not a, is that not a Cam Newton potential landing spot either? I don't think that you do that to Locke. That's the problem. No, don't think so. No. Uh, Jalen Rieger is my favorite player in the entire NFL draft. He was an absolute beast at TCU. My favorite player will return punts, kicks in two years. I'm praying I get him. I mean, he is. So you think he, he was, was, he was my better first pick, pick for the overall. Eagles? 
Wow. In, in, in the uh, last year, uh, you know, remember when we had that college football draft? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, I did. Yes. Jalen Rieger was my first pick. But, I mean, so you think that he is a better overall talent than Judy and Lamb? Yes. Why is that? I'm just curious. What is it, like, route he's running? Is it Steve like, Smith. What? He's Steve Smith. Okay. Well, if he's Steve Smith, that's pretty good. A lot of catches, <laughs> a lot of receptions. Early on in his career, he'll return punts. He's going to be awesome. Okay. He's great. He's great. Uh, rugs, eh, I don't know. A little, I don't know. I just, I don't want I don't rugs. get that one either. No, I'm with you on that one. I don't want rugs. And then Pittman, to me, I have to have in here because I love his spot. I do. And and I think for 2021, I think Pittman could end up being in the best spot of all if they end up with a good quarterback. Look, T.Y. Hilton is not young anymore. And no. he's been hurt a lot. Pittman could end up being the Reggie Wayne. You know, he could be that guy there. So... There's some other receivers who I like a lot. It's very deep for the wide receiver draft, but how do you? What do you see? Uh, real well, quick look. I mean, I, I would say that again. Looking now as was a dynasty, I think Justin Jefferson ended up in a really good spot for 2020. But I don't again, think he's that good. He doesn't need to be that good. I mean, nobody knew who Stephon Diggs was practically, and he emerged as that number two I'm wide not receiver. Not a huge fan of Jefferson. Well, look, I think he has he falls into a ready-made scenario. So whether you think he's really talented, I think the opportunity is at least there. Whereas some of these guys we're talking about, they might not even sniff an opportunity halfway through the season, potentially. Um, I agree with you about rugs. That's not an exciting one to me. T. Higgins is kind of a sneaky one, too. That's I another, love T. Higgins. I, I, feel, I feel like we all sit here and everybody wants to bash guys on good teams. I, like it, It's so bizarre to me. It's like, well, he's only good because he played with that guy. Well, maybe it's a little chicken and egg. (laughs) Maybe it's maybe you're good if you you play with all the guys on Clemson and Georgia and Alabama. You're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, on on LSU. But remember, last year's LSU was a little bit of an aberration. It's one great season from LSU. You know, twenty years of zero offense and then one great year. I do think Brandon Ayuk ended up in a very good spot for what they like to do. I think he he really fits well with what Shanahan likes to do. I would consider. So I think with that. If, the, if you were there at 10 and, and it's I like rugs, well, I'm just saying, like, let's say the board doesn't go your way and you're at 10 there and it's between rugs and and Ayuk. I think Ayuk kind of slips in a little bit better, especially if it's a pull point PPR, because all they like to do is San Francisco. They slants over the middle, slants over the middle. And Ayuk kind of fits right into that with Debo. They'd be a tremendous tandem. All right. Well, it'll be an interesting draft coming up. That's my look at the dynasty, my rankings. And of course, uh, Joe's will be in the black book coming out in the next couple of weeks. We'll take a quick time out on FST here on SportsGrid. Coming up next, more discussion uh, about Michael Jordan and about his memorabilia. In case you missed it, over the weekend, we had James Spence from JSA Authentication. He joined me on the show to take a look at what it would cost to get a Michael Jordan signed item. And is it real? Or is it fake? Find out next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And 
And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today right here on Sports Grid. Craig Mish back with you here, of course, on the show coming up on Sunday night as we get closer to the crescendo of the last dance. Of course, uh, it's been featured Michael Jordan. And as you would expect, because this is the only thing on television for a lot of us to watch, a lot of people are trying to get their hands on autographs and cards of Michael Jordan. So I thought, who better to talk to about that before you make that decision, or potentially maybe you have a Michael Jordan signed piece of memorabilia. If you do, this is the time for sure to go find it, <laughs> make sure you protect it, and uh, and potentially even get it authenticated. And to join us and talk about that, of course, is James Spence, my friend Jimbo. We've known each other for a long time. He's taken care of me with my memorabilia way back in the day when I wanted to protect my stuff. And he joins us now to talk about all of the different memorabilia that is currently out there that is real, that is amazing, and also some of the pitfalls as it could pertain to uh, buying something that is signed by Michael Jordan. Jimmy, thank you for coming on the show. What's going on? Thank you, Craig. Not too much. Uh, the traveling has has gone down tremendously, but we're, we're getting hammered with a lot of mail-in submissions. So we're, uh, we're seeing how, how strong our industry is. Um, I guess, you know, where, where people are um, isolated, they, they look for comfort and what better to uh, define than uh, collecting autographs and buying autographs on eBay. And uh, so it's our industry has stayed pretty strong throughout this whole mess. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that because uh, a company like yourself at JSA is basically the premier company and, you know, figuring out what's real and what's not, as you mentioned, I mean, you're probably seeing some really unique, amazing things because for those people who probably don't know, uh, you know, Michael Jordan didn't like go to autograph signings and like go at shows and sign autographs. He was like a very difficult autograph to obtain. So I'm guessing, Jimmy, when you're seeing this stuff coming in, it's a little bit challenging because it's worth a lot and it's worth a lot of money to these people, too. And so they're trusting you with this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, Jordan, the only sit-down signings he's ever had were through Upper Deck, um, you know, maybe a few through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. He was very, very selective in where he would sign autographs, who he would sign autographs for. Um, the only public place that he routinely signed autographs was in Tahoe at a golf tournament once a year, and he would sign hundreds of autographs there. But that really caught on with the whole chasing community throughout the entire country, throughout the world. And people used to take advantage of that. So, um, you know, years ago, Tahoe limited the amount of pieces that you could actually bring into the tournament. So they were preventing you know, people bringing in jerseys and basketballs like they used to in the late nineties, early two thousands. So, um, Jordan is very, very exclusive as everybody realizes after watching this documentary. So, uh, his, his autograph is heavily forged. Um, I want to say 95% of Jordan autographs that are submitted through JSA fail our authentication process. Wow. 95%. 95% without exaggeration, Craig. Wow. That's, that's, uh, that's very sad for somebody who thinks they have a Michael Jordan autograph and they actually don't. They have it, uh, you know, maybe through somebody that he knows. I've heard that stories about that too, where, you know, basically somebody would give stuff and, and it would be somebody else that would sign the autograph for him. That's it's just it's wild to think that that really exists. But uh, let's focus on the positive here. I want to take a look at a couple of items that you have seen come through your company. Now, again, these are just from random people in the United States or all over the world. They're sending something to you 
and you have to determine uh, at JSA if it is legit or not. So let's start off uh, potentially, Jimmy, with one of the items that we're going to look at here that is legitimate, that is a good item. Pick any of the ones and we'll put it up. Cool. Yep. So uh, the Michael Jordan basketball that you see right here, uh, Jordan is very, uh, it, when he signs for free, he'll usually write extra. So he'll he'll write, you know, best wishes or he'll write, uh, you know, to somebody. He'll try and personalize it for that person. But his most popular inscription is the best wishes. And that's what you see here, Craig. This is on a Spalding. Um, this is uh, just a red and black basketball. Obviously, the Chicago Bulls theme. Um, it's signed in the perfect pen, too. Whoever got this signature knew uh, how what what pen to use. I mean, you don't want to use a, uh, you know, a black fiber tip marker on a black background. That's not going to come out nice. But a silver, this came out beautifully. And uh, this is just your... Um, you know, your slam dunk Michael Jordan. There's, you know, the characteristics of this particular autograph are spot on. Again, I didn't see this thing get signed in person. Um, so, you know, we have to look to our exemplars to determine the authenticity of Michael Jordan's signature. And with 95% of them failing, uh, and the forgeries are exceptional out there. So even if, you know, somebody proclaims to be the Michael Jordan guru expert, um, you'd still need it to get, you, you still need to properly, uh, get something like this authenticated by a reputable company. Um, there, there are very, very sophisticated forgeries out there. So this one's a, a prime example. Um, it's got great flow to it, baseline, uh, it's got conviction throughout and it's beautifully signed. So something like this, um, you're looking at approximate value of anywhere from three to $4,000, uh, just because of where it's placed and uh, how bold the signature is. Okay, um, and let, let's take a look at another one here. I know that uh, there's one that, ironically, with Last Dance being on, has the whole team uh, on, I believe it's like at a Gold's Gym, and it looks like, you know, there's a little bit of a difference, I think, uh, Jimmy, in the two different autographs that we saw here. It's, it looks like this one's like an older one. Yes. So this particular piece was signed in 1991. Uh, we know that because of all the names on this piece of paper at Gold's Gym. So I'm not sure of the background on this particular piece, but you can kind of put all the information that you see together and you can determine that it is a 91-92 NBA champion uh, Chicago Bulls team signed sheet. And uh, all of the signatures are period signed. Period signed means that... Um, Based on the characteristics of each signature, they signed it during that time and not well after in some kind of reunion convention or anything like that. So that uh, when when stuff is period signed, it's very very um, uh, desirable for for collectors, especially Jordan collectors that want to have a piece of his signature from when he was when he was on top of the world. He still is on, still is on top of the world. Apparently now again. <laughs> With no sports, he's the guy that we're watching. All right, uh, what, one more. Give me one. Pick, pick out of the, um, the group here that you have. I know you got a lot, but pick one more that you think will be good to, to might, show. We might as well go with the, uh, the Jordan rookie card. That's getting a ton of press right now, Craig. Um, it's, it's rare enough to find a Jordan rookie card. That's, that's a nice grade. They're, they're going for a crazy amount of money right, right now. This, 20 this grand, is 30 grand, 50 grand. Crazy. One, one sold yesterday, I believe for $96,000 oh. that was graded at 10. Um, so 
my my forte is autographs. Um, the the unsigned stuff is not very appealing to me because my focus is straight straight signatures. But what we have here is a signed, genuine Michael Jordan rookie card, eighty six, eighty seven Fleer. Um, the signature too is is an older signature. It doesn't date to eighty six, eighty seven, but I can tell you it was signed in the early nineties based on the formation of the signature. Um, this is just a, a, a very rare find that that we see. Uh, most of the people that that obtain Jordan rookie cards immediately try to get them graded, and uh, they don't. You know, if they have the opportunity to meet Michael Jordan, they're likely not going to get a trading card signed. So this is something right. special, in my opinion. It's a wonderful investment if you ever find a real one. Um, something like this, I wouldn't be surprised if it sells for about thirty thousand um, dollars, just based on you know the condition of the uh, autograph and the fact that it's on a real rookie card. Wow. Um, but before we get to the ones that are not real, because I think that people are probably more curious, honestly, about that, uh, you mentioned the word exemplar. For people who don't know, um, you know, I kind of have a little familiarity. An exemplar is basically you guys have a database of what is legitimate. But with a player like Michael Jordan, with him not doing any signings, are these simply coming from uh, Upper Deck and some of these vintage ones that you've seen? Because without having a sit-down signing, where, where does that get basically accomplished so we we acquire exemplars we we work with all the major auction houses and some of these auction houses have access like no other um, they give us uh, notarized documents um, Michael Jordan's American Express card where he signed the back stuff that's just irrefutably uh, authentic and we compile everything we see into our exemplar file and uh, Michael Jordan for instance we have well over 4,000 different Michael Jordan signatures now not all of them are authentic. We also keep the forgeries on file too, because we try to pinpoint exactly, you know, what style forgery is this. So it takes a, uh, a reputable card grading company to determine the the authenticity of of just the card. So what you have here is not only a fake card, but somebody decided to get greedy and sign the card and try to emulate his signature. And, you know, the unfortunate thing is, Craig, this stuff gets sold on eBay. Oh, I bet. Uh, we, we've been in touch with eBay um, and, and, you know, they're doing their best to, to clean it up. But it's the, the sheer volume of the stuff that's being uploaded and being sold for, you know, buy it now or, you know, one day listings. It's very, very difficult to police eBay and, and the amount of forgeries out there. So, uh, yeah, it, it sucks. But this stuff gets sold on a daily basis, especially right now when he's hot and emotions are, are flying, that everybody needs a piece of Michael Jordan. Yeah, they do. And uh, as we close out here, um, what you can see right now as we're leaving uh, are a few other forgeries from Michael Jordan. So those of you who are watching the show, we'll just give you a quick uh, view right now here of some other pictures that uh, Jimmy and his company have deemed to uh, not pass uh, JSA authentication. By the way, for anyone who has a Michael Jordan item and you're wondering, is it real? Is it fake? Uh, these are the guys to talk to. Just go over to SpenceLOA.com. Check them out. Uh, Jimmy, of course, is on Twitter. You see his Twitter handle under his name as well. And, uh, and reach out directly to Jimmy. He's been taking care of me for many, many years. Has taught me a lot about this industry. Uh, great talking to you as always, Jimmy. We'll look forward to catching up again very soon. Stay safe with you and your family. And, uh, and I hope to see you in person soon as well. Thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Craig. All right, Jimmy Spence from JSA, SpenceLOA.com. That is the website. We'll be back with more here on the weekend edition of Fantasy Sports Today, right after this, of course.
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Hey, everyone. It's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.